thanks for joining us on this JNNP podcast. Cerebral microbleeds represent a challenging phenomenon for many of us in clinical practice. And in this month's JNNP, we feature a review article on this topic entitled Cerebral Microbleeds from Depiction to Interpretation. And joining me now on the podcast is one of the study's authors, Dr. Laurent Puy, who is a neurologist at the Lille University Hospital Centre in France. So a very warm welcome to you, Laurent, and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, uh, thank you very much for this kind of invitation. And um, thank you for everyone to uh, joining us um, to speak about today about uh, microbleeds. Perhaps you could start by outlining what exactly is a cerebral microbleed in terms of its underlying histology and why they've become an increasingly common phenomenon on neuroimaging studies. Yes, so microbleeds are small radiological constructs and appear as a hypo-intense proxy detectable on blood-sensitive MRI sequences. On neuropathological examinations, they correspond to the combination of both microvessel injuries and the extravasation of red blood cells and accumulation of hemosiderin-laden macrophages within the surrounding brain parenchyma. With the widespread use of MRI, they are nowadays an integral part of our everyday clinic, given you can find them in healthy older individuals, in stroke population, in patients with cognitive impairment, or also in other settings such as following cardiac surgery. Your review covers in detail the common clinical associations with regards to microbleeds. What are the clinical syndromes where they have the greatest diagnostic or indeed prognostic implication? Microbleeds commonly represent a radiological marker of cerebral small vessel disease. And the location of these microbleeds is helpful to differentiate two main forms of small vessel disease. Strictly lobar microbleeds are used for cerebral hemorrhage angiopathy diagnosis, a vascular disease that mainly affects cortical and leptomeningeal vessels. And on the other hand, strictly deep microbeads are used for arteriosclerosis diagnosis that mainly affect the vasculature of deep cerebral structure and white matter. This disease is generally thought to be associated with age and hypertension. The presence of mixed microbleeds may reflect the combination of both CAA and arteriosclerosis but an hereditary form of small vessel disease such as cadazil should be also mentioned in these settings. But of note, when you have a mixed microbleed, the clinical background and the presence of other small vessel disease biomarkers are very helpful to help you in your diagnosis investigations. In addition, cerebral microbleeds can occur in healthy older individuals, in those with and without cognitive complaints. What do we know about the prevalence of microbleeds in these groups and what, if any, impact do they have on the future risk of stroke for these individuals? Microbleeds are uh, very frequent in different subtypes of populations because 5% of healthy uh, older individuals have at least one microbleed and their prevalence is higher in stroke patients, given one patient out of two with a history of stroke have at least one microbeat. And the prevalence reached 60% in ICH patients. Microbeats are excellent prognosis markers in patients with cerebrovascular risk of both hemorrhagic and ischemic nature. 
This risk mainly depends on the locations of microbeads, but we can basically um, say that uh, first, in stroke-free individuals, the presence of microbeads is associated with a five-fold increase of first ICH and a two-fold increase of ischemic stroke. And on the other hand, in patients with a history of ICH, the risk of recurrence is particularly high in the presence of loba microbeads, and the annual risk can reach 10%. Of note, in patients with deep ICH, the presence of deep microbeads does not change the recurrence risk, which is about 2% per year. In patients with a history of ischemic events, the presence of microbeads, whatever the locations, increased by three times the risk of ICH, but also increased the risk of new ischemic stroke by up to 20%. But actually, and I think it's um, a key message of, of my speech, in these patients with ischemic uh, event history, the absolute risk of ischemic stroke is higher than the absolute risk of ICH. So many of us have been faced with the dilemma of an MRI scan which reports cerebral microbleeds, sometimes many microbleeds, and a clinical need to use either an antiplatelet or an anticoagulant. You report in a number of clinical trials which have examined this question. What can you tell us about the results of these trials? Yeah, the question of the safety of antithrombotic drugs in the presence of microbleeds is indeed a major issue of concern in our daily practice. But to date, unfortunately, there is no RCT dedicated to microbeads. But we have data from a subgroup analysis uh, of um, RCT. And I think that there are two findings that emerge from these studies. First, patients with antithrombotic treatments had an estimated incidence rate of new uh, microbleeds of 3 to 7% per year. And there is no apparent uh, differences between therapeutic strategies, I mean single or dual antiplatelets or uh, direct oral anticoagulants. Second, and it's the, the most important message, there was no interaction between microbleeds and treatments for ICH occurrence, especially in the Navigate ASUS trial that use oral anticoagulants. So we are still waiting for RCT dedicated to microbleeds and their putative interaction with treatment on clinical outcome. But taken together, the current data are reassuring. And I think that we should not exclude patients from antithrombotic treatments solely on the basis of the presence of microbeads. And for this reason, I would like to add that it's not recommended to systematically perform cerebral MRI before introducing antithrombotic treatments. And finally, as more and more centers are providing acute stroke therapies, what are the implications of thrombolytic therapies in those with microbleeds? And can clinicians improve case selection in these populations to improve outcomes? According to a recent meta-analysis from Tsev Goulis and colleagues, 23% of patients have at least one microbleed on MRI before thrombolysis. This highlights that the question about the safety of thrombolytic treatments in this population is therefore very frequent in our daily practice. 
But first, I would like to remember you that the majority of patients in our cities that assess the efficacy of intravenous thrombolysis for acute ischemic stroke did not undergo MRI before randomization. And current data suggests that in eligible patients with up to uh, 10 microbleeds, thrombolysis is recommended and appears to be safe. Um, in a subgroup uh, population of uh, patients with a high burden of microbleeds, I mean more than 10, um, in this setting, thrombolysis seems to be associated with an increased risk of symptomatic ICH, and the benefits of uh, thrombolysis is more uncertain. For these patients with more than 10 microbleeds, and when it's uh, possible, uh, I think that first-line endovascular treatment should be uh, considered. But here again, I think we can be less worried about the bleeding risk, and there is no need to systematically do a cerebral MRI before thrombolysis to specially screen for microbleeds. I would like also to, to add that to date, um, we have no um, reason to exclude a patient for endovascular treatment just because a patient presents uh, microbeads on uh, pretreatment uh, MRI, um, there is no, no reason to, to exclude uh, them uh, to such a treatment strategies. Well, I'm sure you'll all agree that this is a uh, growing area and indeed a, a complex area. And uh, I think our contributor, Dr. Laurent Puy, has provided an excellent contemporary update on uh, interpretation of cerebral microbleeds. And I'm sure there's more to come on this. Uh, and indeed, I'd remind our listeners that uh, Laurent's paper is available for free to download at the JNNP website now if you want more information. But for now, I want to thank you all for tuning in and hope to catch you all on the next podcast very soon. Thanks and goodbye. <laughs>